Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Oh, yeah. Hello, St. Louis and surrounding areas. You are listening to another edition of At Your Service. Right here on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Howdy. Hello. Welcome. My name is Dave Simons. I'm a certified financial planner by day and the occasional fill-in guest host of At Your Service. At night, it's been a couple of weeks. Drove all the way in from South Carolina just to be here. I'm not kidding. Uh, Of course, St. Louis is my hometown. I came home, but I just happened to be... uh, over on the East Coast. It was a planned trip back anyway, so I wasn't really driving all the way back 13, 14 hours just to be here. Um, but that's just the way it turned out. So got up very, very early, made the long trip here. And uh, so if you hear some dead air, I have nodded off. So I have, um, I'm hopped up on a little caffeine, which means when I do go home, I will fall asleep about 2 a.m. and then get up a few hours later to go to work. But that's okay. I am here and loving every second of it. Happy Thursday evening, uh, all. So I did prepare, of course, the usual stuff for the show. And because I am, my my career, my industry, my business is in financial services. And so typically I will bring to you some of the latest information on, oh, Wall Street, economics, investing, my take on things. And And I have that, but literally in the last hour or so, I've had to kind of revamp some things. If you haven't heard, the breaking news is that Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, the billionaire wonderkin, the 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 boy wonder, although not so much a boy anymore at 31 years old, but found guilty on all seven counts against him, um, mainly defra- defrauding investors. It all has to do with cryptocurrency. I don't want to dig too deep into the weeds here. You obviously can read all about it. It can get technical, but the jury, apparently they broke. They, they were given the case to uh, settle at about 3 o'clock today, Eastern time. From what I read, they broke for dinner a few hours later, like 5.30 or 6 o'clock, came back like minutes later and said, yeah, he's guilty. Usually when a jury gets a very complex case and there's all kinds of information because this thing went on for about a month. When the jury says they've reached a verdict within a few hours, you don't want to be a defense attorney. 
you certainly don't want to be the defendant because that's usually it typically means the jury, it, the evidence was so overwhelming. And it was here. So Sam Bankman Freed, he is the son of two Stanford legal scholars, as you may have heard, graduate of MIT. It just so happens I am reading the book by uh, Michael Lewis, all about SBF, as he is known, the acronym of Sam Bankman-Fried. And it's really interesting. Michael Lewis lives a charmed life. I mean, he's a great writer, obviously. He knows how to really get to the heart of things. But if you don't know much about Michael Lewis, you do. You've probably seen movies that were based on some of his books, like The Blind Side, uh, The Big Short, Liars Poker, some other things, and he has one out now on SBF. How in the world did Michael Lewis, just by pure luck, work on a book over the last year or two and get all insight and happen to have a book come out right as this guy is going to trial? Obviously, the book came out before he was found guilty. You talk about pure dumb luck here. A, a, a very wealthy man, we don't know who he is who's a friend of Michael Lewis, some billionaire, went to Michael Lewis and said, hey, do me a favor. You're really good at digging into someone's psyche, into their very soul, and digging out who they are, what makes them tick. I've been approached by this Sam Bankman Freed to invest a lot of money in his cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, and the sister company he runs that he actually started Alameda Research. And it looks good, but you're a really good judge of character. I've set up a meeting. You need to go meet with this Sam Bankman Freed and then come back and give me the your unvarnished observations of what you think of this guy. And I trust you, Michael. Let me know. Lewis actually writes this in the book at the beginning to say this is how it all came about. He had no intention at all when he went and met SBF to write a book on him. He was doing a wealthy friend a favor. Michael Lewis was so taken by this guy. Like, who is this bushy-haired young math wizard who doesn't seem to really connect with anyone? It's like he, no psychologist here, but almost kind of like out on the spectrum. He doesn't even show much emotion. And yet he's this guy that everyone wants to meet. Politicians, rock stars, we eventually saw athletes like Tom Brady and others doing commercials for FTX, the crypto exchange that Bankman Freed started and was making billions of dollars. So not only did Michael Lewis go back and tell his wealthy friend, I'm sure he regrets it, but I appreciate his honesty. He said, yeah, he's the real deal. You, you should do business with him. <laughs> I don't know if he did or not. I don't recall in the book that Michael Lewis said, and unfortunately he did and lost a lot of money. That was never in the book. So I, I don't know if the guy followed through or decided not to or whatever. But instead, Michael Lewis said, forget about this. Forget about what my the original intent, the reason behind meeting him. I got to write a book on this guy. Why is he? He's in his 20s at the time, and he's a billionaire already in this nascent industry of cryptocurrency? It's been around long enough. Why is this guy reinventing it now? Why are all these famous people wanting to break bread with him? And so Bankman Freed allowed him to come in to his inner circle. He's, it, it, I'm halfway through the book now. And 
on the one hand, you read this and, and, and you feel sorry for him because he's just wired differently. Seriously, Sam Bankman Freed, he thinks in numbers. He thinks like a computer, which means he has no emotion. He doesn't know how to connect with people, and he knows it. And you can tell by some of the things that he was telling Michael Lewis is, I know I'm like this, and I, and I'm, I don't particularly care for it. I rub people the wrong way. I don't have the ability to know if I'm making people mad, happy, sad, whatever. So in, on the one hand, you're reading this going, man, you kind of feel sorry for the guy. That's just how his brain was wired. However, you quickly lose that feeling when you realize Man, was he condescending to a lot of people because he always considered him the smartest person in the room. And he probably was, but he held that cudgel over you. And he just decided that he could commit fraud and nobody was ever going to catch him because he was smarter than you. He was smarter than the regulators. He was smarter than anyone else in crypto. He was certainly smarter smarter than politicians, the athletes that he was getting. And nothing bad was ever going to happen to him. Well, it did. So, again, Sam Bankman-Fried, after the jury deliberated for only a few hours, came back and said guilty on all counts. Now, how long will he serve? Who knows? I'm not a legal expert, of course. But knowing enough of these types of white-collar criminal cases on Wall Street, 115 years, he'll probably serve a couple of decades, maybe, 15, 20 years, that's purely a guess. Um, He's 31, so he's probably going at least into his 40s, if not his 50s, before he gets out. Uh, I am certain his attorneys maybe will appeal. That's just kind of par for the course. But uh, from all the experts and lawyers that I've been hearing in the immediate aftermath of this decision are saying there's really nothing to appeal here. He is going to go to prison. So there you go. All right. We're going to take a break now, and then I'm going to get back to what I had planned for, and that is what in the world is going on in the financial markets, in particular the the stock market this week. It's best week since January, just as I know a lot of you were getting concerned that it was going to tank. We'll talk about that when we come back. Dave Simons with you tonight on At Your Service. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It is 819 here in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in tonight. Glad to be here. 
Uh, I don't know about the rest of the month. I do know that I am going to be back on KMOX three times in December. And so those of you who get my commentary, I'll be writing down some of those uh, dates for you. I do know one of the three is a dollars and cents show, which is, of course, how I made my mark here on, on radio on KMOX. Been hosting that show um since 1996, although on a part-time basis the last decade or so, just filling in when they need me. Uh, and so I haven't been on Sunday afternoons for a typical traditional dollars and cents investment show in a number of months, but I am going to be on in mid-December. So if you would like to know exactly when I am going to be on, then um, please, if you don't, if you haven't subscribed, please do so to the uh, Dave Simons e- uh, weekly email commentary that I send out every Friday, which I'll give you the details on how to sign up for that in just a second. I, I'm, I'm pointing that out because of this. What an, in, an incredible week for the stock market. And this is why you can't time the market. It's impossible. You go into a week like this when we officially entered correction territory last week which is typically defined when the market falls 10% or more. That's just the traditional definition of a correction. So sure enough, the market hit its year high in early August. Since then, August, September, October, just kind of a slow stair-stepping decline. And the S&P 500 officially entered corrective territory a week ago. Now, back on August 4th, which was a Friday... I wrote in my commentary, and again, I'm not a market timer, and I don't think anyone should be. We are long-term investors. However, I do talk about, whether it's on these shows or in my commentary, about near-term things of the market. That's what people subscribe that they want to know my opinion on. And I said at the time, based on my research, when the market has been up this high, which was like 15 or 20% at the time, back in early August, Typically, what happens is you will get a seasonal correction. That's what history tells us. There's nothing perfect, but the odds are that you start to get this sell-off a little bit in August, September, October. And I said, I really believe that that's probably going to happen. Now, if you're properly allocated and you've got some defensive measures in there, don't. this isn't a call to take any action. This is just a heads up. Okay, we're probably going to have some of these returns start to um, vanish here. That's just the way it is. That's what markets do. That's exactly what happened. Then in the past week or two, I said now things will likely reverse because if if I want if I'm going to hold true to seasonal patterns and they have held true so far, then typically what we'll have is a strong November, which then typically begets a strong December and January. Do you realize the best performing month of the year since 1926 on average is November? And you really get a good strong November when you've had a couple of weak months beforehand. Uh, Hello, that's what we just had. And then when you have a strong November, do you realize the best three-month period of the year traditionally is November to January, part of what we call the Santa Claus rally? And That's sort of what we've been getting so far. Now, there are reasons behind it, of course. It's all about bonds. It's about bond yields. It's about what the Fed announced yesterday, kind of what they didn't announce, um, and, and what Jay Powell said, the Fed chairman, yesterday. But the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up about 1,400 points in just four days this week. 
The NASDAQ, which is the more aggressive growth-oriented index, a lot of your technology names are in the NASDAQ index, is up 5% this week in just four days. Now, I always look at the futures market, which tells us perhaps how the market may open tomorrow. And as I'm sitting here live at 823 Central, it shows that the futures are up a little bit. So we might make it five days in a row. But that's, who cares? Again, I'm getting into near-term stuff. We are long-term investors. But it's following a pattern that I've been talking about. And so that's part of what I write about on a regular basis. So if you do not and have not subscribed... And you want to, of course, it's free. And I don't even know who signs up for it. So nobody's ever tried to sell you anything. I've been writing this since 2000. I'll do the math for you, folks. That's 23 years. And it comes out every Friday. So you can just email to david.simons at ubs.com. That's David, period, S-I-M-O-N-S, at U-B as in boy, S as in Sam, dot com. You don't even have to write anything in, in in the body of the text. Just Uh, or the email, just in the subject line, say, sign me up or add me your commentary or whatever. That goes to one of my assistants. They put you on the blind carbon copy, and then you'll start getting it as early as tomorrow. Okay, so let's continue with this. So that's the good news. Here's another reason why I believe the seasonal patterns would hold true. For those of you who have been hearing me for all these years, you know that I am a big fan of investor sentiment. Sentiment, sentiment, sentiment. The psychology of the market. Is there fear or is there greed? I'm telling you, someone who's been in this business for a number of decades, who has seen bull markets, bear markets, crashes, unbelievable big upswings, sentiment, the human element to investing, will trump fundamentals every time in the near term. Fundamentals will win out long term. But here today, in the here and now, today, this week, this month, it's how investors are feeling. You can present them with actual hard data and say, hey, investors, this is what the economy is doing. This is what inflation is. This is what interest rates are doing. This is what the Fed says. Oh, by the way, here are corporate earnings. This is the unemployment rate. You can give them all these boring factual details. But if investors look back at you and say, I don't care, I feel really bad about my own personal situation, and I think the market's going to tank. Well, then the market, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the near term if a majority of people feel that way. Here's the funny thing, though. Markets tend to do the opposite of what the sentiment is. That's why it's so important. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But let me give you a real-life example. I mentioned that the market topped out back in early August for the year before it corrected the last three months. There's an investment survey that's done every week. It's non-scientific, and it's voluntary. It's run by the American Association of Individual Investors, or AAII. It comes out every Thursday morning. I look at this as a religion every week, and I look for patterns, and I look to see if investors are tending to get more bullish by the week or more bearish by the week. The more bullish they get, that tells me the market is probably getting close to a top. It works, man. Not every time, but it does work a lot. And do you realize back in late August, or I'm sorry, early August, in fact, on August 2nd, the number of people who said they were bullish on the market the next six months was at 49%. 
Now, you might think, well, that's less than half. No, there are three choices. There's bullish, neutral, and bearish. By far, that week, that 49% was much higher than the bears and neutral, which are about 26 and 25%. So a big chunk of investors were bullish, 49%. And that survey has been out since the 1980s. The long-term average for the bullish percentage is 37%. And there we were at 49. Hello, markets hitting highs for the year. It's had a huge run-up for seven months. We're getting into a seasonal pattern of weakness anyway, historically. And we're near the top of investor sentiment. Now you see how the game is played. And that's why I went public in the commentary and said, yeah, you guys, I don't know that I'd take a lot of risk right now. The market's looking very toppy right now and sentiment is high. Well, guess what? We go into this corrective cycle the last three months. Do you know what the survey that came out today was? The bull number, remember, it was 49% at the market top, 49%. We go into a correction for three months, and today it came out at 24.3%, almost exactly half. Now, that survey is taken in the prior few days before the big run-up this week. So right before the market just has had its best week of the year since early January, more investors are bearish on the market than they have been since last May. Wow, it's working again. I wouldn't be surprised. There's no guarantee, of course. Nobody knows anything here in the near term. And we're not changing our allocation because, again, we're long-term investors. So take this as informational purposes only. Do with it what you want. But it wouldn't surprise me that what we've seen this week really is the start of something that will take us through the holidays. Not perfectly, not in alignment. Of course, every day we'll get some pullbacks here and there. Not just for stocks, but I think the bond market rally that I've been expecting is now here and could take us well into 2024. However... As we head into the break, man, I hate to do this. I've never been one to be provocative for provocative sake. I don't use a lot of hyperbole. However, I believe that in the next, yeah, it's not anytime soon, but we have some real, real headwinds facing us economically. I want to address what that is. And don't lose any sleep because there will still be opportunities to navigate your way through this. But it's something to start thinking about. Not going to break down tomorrow or even next year, perhaps. But it's starting to happen. We start to hear the thunder in the distance. So stay with us. It is 830. I'll come back and give you more details, in my opinion, on what we have to face in front of us. So I guess that's an appropriate song, Stranglehold, because that's maybe what some of us might feel like we're in in a few years. I'm not trying to be all Halloweenish and scare everybody here. But let me ask you a question. Do you recall the first time you may have heard that, well, we've got to be concerned about the this debt issue? Government spends too much money, and the debt is going crazy, and it's the old, um, we're going to leave 
our grandkids to have to pay off all this debt, and that is a horrible thing, and how can we uh, let this happen in this country? Do you, do you remember the first time you started to hear this as a major concern? I, I guess it depends on how old you are, really. For me, it's really kind of the first time this was ever discussed, and that was back in the 1980s. So from a political standpoint, you had Ronald Reagan, who really was um, obviously military is very, very important to him to take down the big, bad Soviets. So he wanted to build up our defense systems while the Democrats said, "Okay, uh, we really don't want to do that, but we'll give you that as long as we can have our social programs over here and continue to have money go into those areas. So both of them looked at each other and okay, And then the deficits just soared. That was really the first time that that became a major issue politically was 40 years ago. And yet nothing bad ever materialized. The economy boomed in the 1980s. That continued into the 90s, at least in the first part of Bill Clinton's first term. And the deficit continued to widen. The debt continued to grow. And then we still heard, oh, man, this is going to be bad. Leaving it for our grandkids. This is terrible. The economy is going to crash. Now, in the late 90s, some of you may remember, we actually ran a surplus for a couple of years right near the end of Bill Clinton's second term. Now, for those of you who really don't know economics that well, I get it. There is a difference between the deficit and the debt. We hear those terms interchange like, well, I just you said the deficit's really high and the debt. uh, What do you mean? We were were running a surplus in the late 90s? Yes, we were, but the debt was still very, very high. So, again, deficit is more of an annual thing on your budget. Let me explain it from your own personal situation in your own household. If you make $100,000 a year, but you spend $110,000, you run an annual deficit of $10,000, right? But your actual debt might be 200000 because that's the mortgage on your house. See how that works? So your, your debt is basically all of your liabilities that you have. The deficit is just what you run in your spending year to year. Well, the government's the same way. So in the late 90s, we still had a federal debt. We still had all of these, the, the interest that we had to pay on the bonds that we were issuing to pay for all of these programs. But In the annual budget in the late 90s, for a couple of years in a row, we actually ran a surplus for the first time since the 1820s under Andrew Jackson. That's a true story. Very unusual. Well, then we got into, of course, post 9-11 and the wars in Afghanistan and particularly the long ones in, 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 um, in, in Iraq and then, of course, back to Afghanistan. And the deficits really took off in the 2000s, and then all the talk came back, didn't it? This is unsustainable. We can't have this much debt. This is terrible what we're doing to our grandkids. And it didn't matter. The issues that we had in the 2000s, from a stock market standpoint, the Internet bubble bursting in the early part of the decade, then the Great Recession of 08 had nothing to do with the deficit or the debt. There were other issues, as we know. We get into the 2010s. Again, here we go. Now Barack Obama is president. The debt's starting to go way up again, and we're getting the same talk. This is terrible. Okay, enough of a history lesson here. Do you see the pattern? I always said in my career throughout that whole time, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. And people would get mad at me. Like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? We're leaving this for our grandkids. No, I don't disagree with you on that. I think it's egregious what we've done as a nation, the kind of malfeasance that we've applied to our spending patterns in this country from a government and political standpoint. I think it's terrible, but I never saw it affecting the economy or the financial markets in any real negative way. And the data proves that out. And I always said it's very Yogi Berra-esque to say, well, it will matter when it matters. You can just hear Yogi saying something like that. But that's how I would respond. I Well, when do you think it's going to, you know, really hurt us, Dave? I have no idea. It will matter when it matters. Well, guess what? It's now mattering. Not today. But now for the first time in like 40 years, I believe that we are now close to finally seeing this not only crimping the economy, but having a negative impact on our economic growth, on the American way of life. And what we're going to have to see is probably higher taxes, some changes to Social Security and things that are untenable from a political standpoint. But they're going to have to be addressed. Now, this isn't a rush to take action because this doesn't happen tomorrow. Right now, the economy is still doing much better than most people thought. How many of you actually thought we would be in a recession by now? We were told that by all the economists and market strategists out there, and it hasn't happened. For what it's worth, me personally, I think next year there's a good chance we'll fall into a very minor recession. I think that's where we're heading at some point. Not enough to knock everything off a cliff or anything like that. No, nothing overly draconian here from a financial market standpoint. But I do believe there's a chance of that. But it has nothing to do with the deficit. That's going to come, I believe, within a couple of years. You don't even have to take little old my word for it. There are people who are a lot smarter than me and certainly more successful on Wall Street than me that are now finally starting to pound the table. Jeffrey Gunlock, the bond guru for Double Line Capital. There's Stanley Druckenmiller, the big billionaire hedge fund manager. Those two guys were very public this week talking about what we're going to be faced with. They were talking that this is going to happen today or tomorrow. But we now are to a point where I don't think we can stop this ship from running right into the boat ramp. I don't think it's possible we can stop that now because we are going to have bonds that the government issued at, let's say, one and a half or 2%. They're going to be rolling off at much higher rates over the next year or two, just at a time when fewer and fewer workers are having to pay the Social Security benefits for more and more retirees. It's now, as I've done more and more research, it, it's like the light bulb's going off. Okay, Dave, you always said it's going to matter when it matters. Uh-oh, it's standing in front of you right now. This is just the first time I've ever talked about this, and it won't be the last because this is something that we're going to continue to have to talk about here. We're going to have to be adults about it but it's going to be facing us. Now, does that mean you should take all your money out of stocks and bonds and all this other stuff and just, well, forget it then. If this country is going to heck in a handbasket, I'll just put it under my mattress. No. As Jim Cramer on CNBC has famously said, there's always a bull market somewhere. 
It's going to be important to know where to be, and perhaps even more importantly, where not to be. By the way, before I, and I am going to get to that, I'm going to give some advice of things to look at, not today, but again, down the road as we get a little closer to this. Have you ever gone to the website usdebtclock.org? You talk about something that's difficult to look at. U.S. Debt Clock, all one word. It's Remember, it's .org, O-R-G. It's basically right there in colors. It is a running tally of our federal debt. And you sit there and you look at it and you look at it and you're mesmerized like looking at the fire that you've made outside as you're cooking marshmallows. And you just look at that fire. Have you ever just found yourself almost in a trance at night looking at this fire that you've built? This is kind of what happens when you go to usdebtclock.org and you see these numbers just rolling and rolling and rolling. And you, you finally snap out of it and go, oh, my gosh, we are in trouble. But even I've been looking at this for over 10 years. And I when I used to do seminars at the Ritz over here, I would sometimes put that up there live and say, folks, have you ever seen this? This is the U.S. debt clock. And people would go, oh, wow, that's awful. I'd say, man, but it doesn't matter right now. But isn't that scary, Dave? Well, it will be. It's going to matter when it matters. Well, here in late 2023, it's in front of us now. Okay, when we come back, I'm not going to just leave you all hanging and say, well, good luck to you. I'll see you when all this damage is over. We'll come back and see who's left. No, we can properly allocate our investments even in an environment where we've got finally a debt problem that is crimping America, crimping our economy, crowding out other use of capital that we have that can hurt businesses, that can hurt workers. There is still a way to invest for your retirement, okay? And we just need to um, be smart about this. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you some things in a very general way of, um, of some of the investment opportunities that may come down the pike when this thing finally starts to unravel down the road. Stay with us. All right, my friends, back live in the KMOX studio. It's 848. My name is Dave Simon, certified financial planner, all-around nice guy by day, the occasional fill-in guest host at night. I have been talking uh, within my industry, which is the financial service industry, and how we are seeing things down the road. And for those of you who have heard me off and on for all these years, back since the 90s, you know that I've always been a very even keel guy. I don't get give in to all the hysteria out there and you got to watch out. The market's going to crash because 99% of the time it's all a, a bunch of, you know what, and they, others are peddling their wear using our human emotions of fear and greed to try to sell us newsletters or try to sell us gold or whatever. And it's just a bunch of hogwash. So I'd hope that I've got a little street cred when one of the few times I am actually seriously talking about some major issues that we have in front of us down the road. Not anytime soon. And I think that's one of the advantages here is this isn't something that all of a sudden breaks overnight. This is something that we can see develop 
in real time before our eyes that we've got time to revamp portfolios. But with our federal debt now just inches away from hitting $33.7 trillion, there's just no nothing stopping this thing that it's really going to feed on itself. And you think that's large today? You just wait. When some of the bonds are maturing next year and we'll have to mature at higher rates and then more of our tax revenues that the government takes in will have to go just to pay off interest on this debt. That is going to crowd out other uses of that tax revenue. Something's going to have to happen. So what? Well, at some point, this is not politically tenable, so this is not going to be even discussed over the next year before the election. But taxes are going to go up. Now, we do know this. Nobody has to take any action at all. And the so-called Trump tax cuts are going to end at the end of 2025. So if there's no political action, tax rates automatically go higher starting in 26. But I think even beyond that, at some point, tax rates are going to go higher again because of the need to pay this burgeoning debt load. That's that's going to be off the charts, 40, 50 trillion at some point. OK, it's coming. And it's not it's really going to hit, I, I think, the upper tax brackets. That's going to be a little bit more politically expedient for some people in D.C. to be able to do that and pull it off. Uh, they're going to have to cut spending in some ways. But how do you cut spending when a growing percentage of it is for non-discretionary spending like Social Security, like Medicare? Well, guess what, folks? Things are going to have to happen with Social Security. It's inevitable. That's going to continue to take a bigger piece of the pie when we're also having to pay off our debt. So what is the government supposed to do? They're not going to default on the interest of that debt. And then all of a sudden we become a third world country. That's not going to happen. So they're going to have to look at things like Social Security. Now, I know that there's a lot of fear. Some of you right now who are getting Social Security Some of you, perhaps like me, early 60s, who's eyeing Social Security within the next decade, the fear is, well, I'm going to have to wait longer. Let me assuage your fears here. Republicans and Democrats, news alert here, don't agree on a lot of things. This is one thing they do agree on. Everybody who is currently collecting Social Security, they've been public with this. You're grandfathered in. They're not going to touch it and probably anyone from their mid-50s on, because you already are eyeing retirement, you're planning your retirement based on the Social Security numbers that you've been given. So they're not all of a sudden at the 11th hour going to make you change course. Everybody else, you're fair game. So some of the things that they may consider is, hey, you know that early Social Security that you can take at 62? You really shouldn't if you can help it because you're taking a big cut, but I get it if you have to. Well, they may just go ahead and say they're going to raise it to 63 or 64. That will actually save billions of dollars there. It's a small drop, but it's a start. The other thing that's being discussed is raising full retirement age, which right now, depending on when you were born, is between 66 and 67. It's 67 for me. If I want to wait for my full benefits, I have about another five and a half years or so to go. To 67. Well, there's talk of raising that to 70 across the board. That's going to save tens of billions of dollars, maybe hundreds of billions. The biggest thing, though, is the FICA tax, what we pay into Social Security. 
As you know, right now it's capped. I forget the number. It's like 140-something. So basically, a guy making $140,000, every dollar he makes, roughly about 6.35% or so, of that 140000 goes into FICA or Social Security. His employer, even if he's self-employed, matches that. So over 13% of income goes into Social Security. There is, but it's capped. Like if you make $500,000 a year, roughly only about 140 and change goes into FICA. It's capped. A guy making a million, 140,000. So there's talk about, well, let's just raise that cap. Let's raise it to 500. Let's raise it to a million. Some will say there should be no cap. You make 5 million, every dollar. You know, I am not big into raising taxes, but I recognize that we got a problem and we all have to have some sacrifice here. I am in favor of that, except on the corporate side. I would say on the employee side, if you want to raise that cap up to 500000 a million or whatever, okay, let's talk about that. But we can't make the corporation, the company, especially the small mom and pop company, also have to raise their Social Security. It's going to wipe out a lot of smaller businesses. So only on the individual side. I just tell you these things because that's being discussed. So how do you invest with all that's happening, oh my goodness, folks, no guarantees of this because we've never been to it, been through this, but bonds are going to be very tricky. However, I think you can still make money in a situation like that down the road in high-grade corporate bonds. I think you could actually feel safer in some of these AAA-rated corporate bonds as opposed to a government-issued bond long-term where we're having trouble even paying interest on it. That's something to think about. If you are going to invest in government bonds, you'd keep it really short term. Stocks, I think the stock market could still work there, but really high quality companies with very little debt. So they're also not having to pay a lot of interest on their debt. All of this time that we've been in the market where a lot of junk companies have gotten by on venture capital raising and all that may be in trouble a few years from now if this thing really plays out. So there you go. Hey, have a nice night, everybody. No, I know. We've got a second hour, and I'm going to change gears. It's just something, though, that I promise I am going to continue to talk about because it is here, folks. Um, where I said that uh, it's going to matter when it matters, it's going to matter very, very soon. We'll be back. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.